Hello, everyone, and welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. So, the, today's episode is actually going to be from Give Me an Answer, like it is in Monday mornings. And it's going to be about talking about agnosticism. And before we dive into this, I want to go ahead and uh, remind everyone who's listening to this or watching this or whatever may be happening that if you really enjoy these kind of programs, really enjoy this channel, or you just like following on content, go ahead and like and subscribe wherever you may be listening to this podcast. So this episode, as I was saying, is going to be talking about agnosticism. You can be agnostic. Agnosticism really fast if I boil it down for you guys. Agnosticism is saying that there is a belief that there is a higher power, like the force, but no one could really know what this thing is. It's kind of just there. And so Stuart Connectly is going to go ahead and be talking about this in this episode of Give Me an Answer. Um, if you want to, his church is New Can uh, over in New Canaan, Connecticut's Grace Community Church. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the program. And so you got a bug sitting on the top of a frog, sucking the frog's brain out. And the brain caves in of the frog. And Annie Dillard, that great woman author, says, as I'm sitting there at Tinker's Creek, watching the bugs suck the brains out of a frog, I know that there's plenty of ugliness in this world, but as I watch the sunset, I also know there's plenty of beauty. And you see what the Bible does is, in such a marvelous way is, it talks about the grandeur of human life, of you, the beauty, the magnificence of you, but also you got a sin problem. And guess what? So do I. And that's why both you and I need Jesus Christ. Why can't materialists say that they're like the information processing happens? Uh, that's just a faculty of the of the brain. Like they're, they're, I don't think that's inconsistent. I don't I don't understand. Well, for the same reason, you cannot, as a materialist, ultimately explain something like consciousness. Abstract thinking. You see the rose. You see yourself seeing the rose. You think about meaning and purpose in life. That's abstract thinking that has nothing to do, ultimately, in being just the brain, just neurochemicals. See, when I'm talking to a consistent atheist, it's all boiled down to, yeah, that's just your neurochemicals. Love, for example, love is not infatuation. Love is nothing really that we should look up to and say self-sacrifice is this great thing. No, it boils down to it helped us propagate our genes. It helps us really extend the gene pool. That's not mutually exclusive. It can be both. It can be like a yeah, How can it be both? As a materialist, how can it be both if you're going to be because consistent? Because the, the, the former was just like an emotional uh, like interpretation of that. It's like just an attitude. You said it's not a great thing. Something being great isn't in virtue of like, it's, that's in virtue of what I like about it. So it's like I can say that that is equally mysterious and great just as how it arose in, in the latter case. Like, but it's just uh, totally subjective and arbitrary because it's ultimately just your neurochemicals firing in a certain kind of way. Because you're fully reductionistic, right? Are you an atheist? Uh, you reduce everything <laughs> to materials. See, that's my point, right? Uh, I mean, it's gonna be, you could just, it could, it, could, uh, it could ground out in that like, materials are uh, mysterious and spontaneous anyway. They're like, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't necessarily follow that like, because we don't want it to be the case that 
uh, like that's too boring. It's actually it's, it's greater than that. It's going to be an appeal to like just an attitude. It's not an appeal to what it is. Like one of the more consistent atheists, very sharp guy on YouTube that I've debated before. He said, as a materialist, yes, as an atheist, it boils down to reductionism. And he says, now scientifically, we have found in the brain you can actually find your memories. So scientifically, you can prove that memories are imprinted on your brain. So it's a physical issue. Do you see that? See how he's taking it to its logical end? And, and I respect the guy. I think that's hilarious. I do not think we've proved that in any kind of way, that you can physically prove your memories inside your brain. But you see, at least he's making that push to say, yes, I realize I have to do that as an atheist. Uh, like you can, you can be agnostic on, on like what like basic, uh, like what properties uh, make up reality. Like you can just be agnostic on materialism versus like property dualism or something. Sure. Yeah. You can be agnostic about a lot of things. Yeah. I think that's a, ultimately though, I don't, hope you don't remain agnostic though, because ultimately that's worshiping the search. And every time you go after the sunset, the sunset just recedes and keeps receding. Or for example, if you live it out in your everyday life, you have to decide one illustration that he makes about agnosticism. You can be an agnostic here, but you have to make a decision right here not to be an agnostic. You're going to make a decision in your practical, everyday living. Well, I want to go back Why to are you an agnostic, though? Uh, it, you could just say, I'm waiting for a positive argument. One hasn't convinced me thus far. You, you say something like that. But before you said, uh, like, the agnostic has to make a decision here. But are you you're familiar with, like, uh, the concept of, like, underdetermination. You're going to have to explain that one a little bit. Uh, so, like, if we have competing theories that are, like, equal in value, you say that, like, what we're talking about is underdetermined given these few things. So, like, if you're talking about, like, you need to make a decision, like, that could be under, like, if something like a physical reaction of me, like, stepping back, that's underdetermined to, like, habituation, underdetermined to, like, God made you step back, Underdetermined to like a physical reaction, like like you you can have multiple multiple uh, explanations of equal value. Now see free will. I'm glad you brought up determinationism as well as free. I didn't. That's not what underdetermined means. No, no, no. But it was included though. Underdetermination. I absolutely have heard about it, but you included at the end there. You talked about determination when it came to a god. See again from your perspective, determinationism, but especially free will is another immaterialistic issue. And so if you have no God, you're just dancing to your own DNA. You're just a fizzing can. All you are is just responding to type of behaviorism too, to what your parents taught you. You're just responding to what your well, culture teaches you. Kind of and you're determined to act in that way. But if there is a God, now all of a sudden there's the immaterial side where he does give you a free will that is immaterial. Well, and supernatural, and you're not just a robot. You're appealing to like motivated reasoning because you're saying like uh, the conclusion you've got has consequences that you don't like, but maybe like the truth has consequences you don't like. That's not convincing in itself to say, uh, but we might like this more. Don't you like it more if you were completely free? We don't like it that you're not free and that you're just a bunch of like molecules hitting hitting each other. Like that's just an appeal to mo motivated reasoning. No, no, I'm not doing that at all. I don't, I don't think that fits whatsoever. I'm, I'm trying to be completely exactly consistent like in terms like of this. whether there is a God or whether there's not a God. It has nothing to do with my taste or opinion or attractiveness or motivation in that I sense. Just to explain his argument a little bit, what he was just trying to 
behind We have the moderator over here, I like it. <laughs> um, just the kind of two sides of, um, oh, what was the word you had said, reductionalism, like you had used the term robot versus free will um, through, I guess, you'd like to say some sort of higher being. Um, I think he's just trying to say that the robot argument that you just necessarily said of, well, then we're all robots. What if we don't necessarily mind the fact that, like, you know, the, how the brain processes work? You know what I mean? And so you're saying, like, well, then we're all robots, and your argument is just that we don't like the fact that we're robots, and that's all he was saying. Yes. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, you're just kind of appealing to uh, that would follow. This would follow from that, and you're just leaving that open, saying you don't like that or you do like the that. Fear of a lack of yeah. Will. Yeah. Are you like a Calvinist? Which is a beautiful argument, but... No, it's not. No. Yeah, I, I, it's an embarrassing I, argument. I totally embarrassing. I'm not with it either. <laughs> Sir, he does not believe because it makes him feel good. I didn't say he did, but the argument... He does he not just, believe he just because... To, to you know, this, 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 this makes my day go better. <laughs> He's saying, I've observed my experience, and my experience is I have free will, and guess what? My experience is... Everybody here has free will. Guess what? That's why if he smacks you in the face, I'm going to go up to him and say, you should not have smacked him in the face. And if he tells me I had to do it, I was genetically predisposed to hitting him, I'm going to say, sorry, bud, you're wrong. Maybe you had some predisposition to smack him, but you made a choice to smack him. You, you can't have court systems in the United States if you don't have free will. you know what compatibilism is? I really don't care at this point. It's an interruption. Now think with me. You got to think. Yes, you got to think. It's very important. Yes. And what you you live your life as if he is free. So that is not an appeal to, oh, it makes me feel better that I think he's free. No. You live your life and I live my life as if he is free. So if he smacks him in the face, I'm going to look him in the face and say, you should not have done that. I'm holding you responsible for smacking him. And I, can, I, can, I do not hold a computer responsible. I hold a human being responsible who has a free will. You, you kick free will out of the picture, and you kick human responsibility right out of the picture. Keep going. Well, that's underdetermined again. So, like, compatibilism, which is, a, which is like... Define free, it. She was talking about compatibilism. What on earth is that? So, so freedom, freedom is, in compatibilism is defined as acting in accordance with your belief and desires. So, like, uh, a human could be... It could, action could be predetermined, but their beliefs and desires still being met gives gives a feeling of free, like that's how we're going to define freedom so it's not to talk past the uh someone who believes in libertarian free will but you could just say that um the reason we hold each other accountable is a social illusion given practical good purposes. a social illusion for, so don't believe in it for practical purposes all right fine so don't believe but you know no, with wait, your head it's wrong um but so any, anyway, like so ultimately, you are not held, hold accountable for no. your decisions. I mean, no, it's, under, it's an illusion. It's, you're not that's not the There's point. There's ultimate obligation, that's, that's and so you're you're not obligated to certain areas of of how you live. No, that's not what What's your point? Anyway. See, because I think you're emotionally biased as well. I, I think the the point you're making is you're stepping you away and you're saying, let's just question everything. Let's be an agnostic. I haven't heard this positive argument that supposedly is going to win me to the Christian faith. Well, I could do that all life long. That is so easy, right? I mean, why even have any type of discussion? Let's just all say we don't know. It's a cop-out. It's so hard to debate or enter into any type of dialogue when you're just going to assume that position. Let's just question, question, question. Let's just take Descartes and just 
Hume and just live it ultimately to the very end, baby, of our well, lives. You're doing it again you need to eventually building. get to the place of saying, why do I deny God? I think it's way more so of a bias. I don't think you really want God to exist. Do you? Or do you think you're completely objective? Uh, I don't care. But, so. You don't care. <laughs> But, you know, I you think did the God it, question is, you did it again, and purpose though. and meaning is the most important question in life. You did it again, though. You, I, do you, you truly not care whether there's eternity or not? You did it again where you said, um, you have no control like, over it. are we just going to be agnostic? And that's just saying, like, you, you don't like that. Like, I don't like being agnostic. It wasn't a positive argument against being agnostic. You have control over making the decision to choose to believe in God or not, and whether there's one way to heaven or not. Why do you say you have no control of it? I have no control of if there is a God or if there's an afterlife or not, right? Well, it, it depends what Do wh I have control over you. what we're doing after we die? Do you have control over what we're doing after we die? Do I have oh, no, you're, you're in heaven, and so it's relational bliss but with God and human beings. That's if physically. heaven is the, the for you sure. You have control over the existence of afterlife. Yeah. You have the, you have the control over yeah, your decision if there is an existence to believe. Yeah, going saying going. there is a heaven, like, completely, like, factual, that's not fair because you don't know. The Bible speaks very little okay. of heaven. Okay, but, like, I'm not saying there is no heaven or there is. I'm just saying you have to be open to we don't know, and that's where faith comes in. So, like, what is your consideration for if there isn't a heaven? Like, have you thought about that? Yeah, there is no judgment day. And so all of the, with the women I've counseled who've had corrective surgeries... One in particular said five corrective surgeries because her husband has beaten her up so many times. There's no judgment day. He's just going to get away with it. He's not in prison. So if there is no heaven and no judgment day, that just happens. And if you're an agnostic, you just got to kind of put your hands up and say, I don't know. That's just how it is. So no, I, I believe the judgment day, it's not just pie in the sky, by and by, that you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. No, if there is a heaven, you ultimately want to live more so for justice, because this place isn't just going to die in a heat death in however many years. You want to live for justice, the preservation for life, and live eternally speaking, rather than just 70 years here on earth if you're lucky. Why am I waiting for heaven and judgment day when I have, like, court? I can... You're not supposed to wait for it. Christ said you're not supposed to wait for it. You're supposed to live for justice. And if there is no God, justice is just poof. It's not material. It has nothing to do ultimately with your worldview. Because it's an intangible. Care, Justice, can... love, these are intangible. Sacrifice, intangible. Living for human rights to help somebody on the other side of the world. Why would you do that from an atheistic perspective? Because I care about people. But your heaven point is what? What exactly are you trying to communicate with heaven? Do you not want there to be eternity? I'm just saying you don't know. Sure, there's a lot of doubt. Exactly. I cannot prove. Yeah, no, nobody can. That's the point. Right. I'm saying justice right now, why does it matter to me as somebody who doesn't believe in a God or anything? Because I care about people regardless of if there is a God or not. Why do you care about people? I don't need a God to tell me if I'm hurting, I know somebody else is hurting, right? I don't have to have like a, a deity. Shouldn't you, know? you do the same though for animals? Yeah. You're buying into speciesism, right? Sure, yeah. So, so if you're walking your dog down the street and this guy falls into the street uh -huh. and your dog falls into the street uh -huh. and a car is coming, you can only save one. Who are you going to save? Them. Why? They're my partner. They're your partner. Yeah. Um, I'm saying I don't need a God for empathy. You don't need a God for empathy. Um, I would agree with that, actually. Yeah. I don't know of an afterlife. 
You don't know of an afterlife. Or lack thereof. Okay. And I don't think that should affect my decision of Good. how I treat people. Good. Good. Totally agree with you. Just yeah. about just about all those points. Yeah. That's you don't need an afterlife. That's exactly right. You need to follow Christ. See if his character, his claims, his death, he exists as a historical figure, I hope, and resurrection. See if the evidence is there to back up that worldview. And then ultimately listen to what he has to say about the afterlife. Because you're right, you don't want to jump past that and just say, hey God, prove to me there's an afterlife. No, in the Christian faith, there's nothing to do with that. Yeah, I've already gone through that though. And like, of course, I think Jesus' teachings in the New Testament, I think is a great ethics and philosophy of like caring for other people, right? And caring for lesser who can't defend themselves. I think, sure, I would extend that to animals because what does he say in creation of we are stewards of his land or stewards of the earth. So we are here to protect and like, you know, not take advantage of it. But he claimed to be God. He took worship. He claimed to forgive sins. That, those are the symptoms of a schizophrenic and a schizophrenic turned over 35% of the entire world today and growing to follow him. And in the Roman empire, over 50%. So how does this guy who teaches great ethics yet claims to be God has that type of impact why do you want to follow him? We should discount him as just a crazy lunatic. Well, do you, just, do you, just, do you discount him. other other prophets as crazy lunatics? Do you discount Muhammad, who also uh-huh. converted no, millions? No, I think they're great, but they did not I claim to be great. God. I think what? they did not claim to be God. And right. Christianity well, is the only God. historical, falsifiable religion. Uh, and Jesus came to end all religion. It seems to me that um, the, the question students tend to bring to y'all um, they are tending to ask questions that for them, they see as this is the most absurd aspect of Christianity. Like, why should I believe this? It seems very absurd. And I assume partially they want to poke holes or, you know, they're defending their lack of belief in it. Um, but it strikes me as y'all defend that, it, it comes off as though y'all are defending a very literalist interpretation of the Bible. And... As a Christian, I, I question the value of a literalist interpretation of the Bible. I mean, I hope it's true. I be- believe, I have belief that it's true. But really, if I'm sitting down to talk with someone, whether or not I can convince them the literal truth of it doesn't feel particularly important to me, right? It, it presents these uh, values and a standard that we can look to um, that can can change our lives and make our life better. And how much of that is literally true, they'll figure that out as they adopt those patterns. But but the, these debates never seem like they get to that because they focus on these really broad questions of is it like very strictly literally true? And I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts about that because I think I think we get a little lost on, you know, how literally true it is. Would you take the Book of Mormon as literally true? I don't know. I, I would I would say that the question of how literally true it is isn't my highest priority. Like I think the the quality of the morality that it advocates is what's important to me. So we are not out here saying you must believe in the Bible and God right. because the Bible says that the earth is six thousand years old. We're not out, we would never do that. We would never want to ever do that. That is a conversation stopper. We are literalists in the sense of, you look at Jesus Christ as a historical figure, 98% of scholars believe that, right? And then the question becomes, did he claim to be God as well? 
And is the historicity of the resurrection strong enough to say, okay, he is the son of God, we need to believe in him. But what, when you say literalism, what are we out here preaching that is so focused on this type of wooden literalism that it becomes problematic for you? I mean, I, I think that's, my concern is maybe not so much, I, I get what you're saying, right? Because you don't have that belief that's based strictly on a literal belief of the, of the Bible. But I, I get the sense that the people coming here and asking the questions are asking you to defend it literally for them to like engage with Christianity. They want you to prove it to them. And, and I guess, like, I'm kind of curious about how to engage with that to say, you know, like, when we're engaging with people, that it's not about, I, I'm not going to prove this. It's not a scientific thing. It's not a factual thing. There's value and truth to it. Um, you know, how, how do you have that before you get past that? Because that's what they're asking you for. They're asking you to prove it. You know, and I, I think that's what we, we, it seems like sometimes... At least for what the, I feel like I hear, see them hearing, what I think they're engaging with is getting locked in this, wrapped up in this circle of, like, it has to be literally true. Prove it. You know, and like, I don't know, I'm curious because y'all engage with that a lot. So, like, how? Two points. That's why we bend over backwards to say there is so little that you can prove in this world, it's scary. Mm -hmm. Secondly, just about all of us, every single person here probably, would have a different definition of what proof is. So when somebody comes and says, prove the Bible, prove Jesus Christ, we're going to say, no, we, we can't do that. I mean, partly because it's not part of empiricism, but there certainly is a type of scientific historical piece where you can go back and test certain things. But our claim, again, is take Jesus seriously and then look at something like a talking snake. What did he say about the Old Testament? Did he take it all literally? But you have to deal with this historical figure. You don't just jump to, was there a flood? No, that's ridiculous. Prove it to me. Was there a talking snake? Prove it to me. Did somehow Moses have this burning bush experience? No, bushes don't light on fire and stay lit and don't burn. That's ridiculous. Prove it to me. These are all falsifiable. No, you have to go and look at Jesus Christ. If he is the Son of God, take him seriously and then look at how he views the Old Testament. What does, for you, um, when you say, look at Jesus Christ, what does that look like? What do you do to look at Jesus Christ? Yes, great question. Book. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, but, but I think there's more. all books. It, it was that simple, right? Like, yeah. I, I suspect you believe there's more to it than just reading the book. Yes. So I would start with, is he a historical figure, which we've been talking about, and there's 36 sources that deal with Jesus Christ as a historical figure. 16 to 20 of them are against the Christian faith, like Josephus, who says that Jesus Christ is a historical figure. Then you look into his claims. Seven I am statements alone, just in the Gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and life. Every single time someone worshiped him, he took it, he accepted it. He said, I forgive sins. Clearly all these claims that he is God. All the apostles, even angels, were saying, don't worship me. No, I don't forgive sins. There's no claim to be God. They tore their clothes and said, I'm not God, even after doing miracles. All right, Jesus never did that. All right, so you see the claims. Then you see his personality. I mean, the claim to be God, and yet the humility to come down to earth in the form of a man dying the most embarrassing, excruciating death possible. So the claim to be God, with humility, 
the combination of the two is one of those beautiful things imaginable. And he goes on, and that's just the example endlessly of high majesty as well as endless humility and bending down to help a woman with an eternal, internal bleed that everybody was saying, get out of here, let's reject. Or welcoming all the little children to himself when his disciples are saying, well, this has nothing to do with our agenda. What are you doing, Christ? Or welcoming in the leprous and saying, no, we could catch their disease, but we're still going to welcome them in because every single person is made in the image of God and has indelible worth. So looking into his character, because if you didn't have that kind, of, that kind of character, you start to say, wow, is this really God come to save us and give us a type of way to eternal life? And then finally, you look at the evidence for the resurrection. Buried in a very well-known tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, head of the entire Sanhedrin. Okay, that, that's pretty impressive. Then you go to, if he's buried in this tomb, was it truly empty? You have enemy attestation, talked about in the book of Matthew, which is, let's make up. Let's make up Romans and Jews some type of a, a theory to propagate in a way where we could say, no, the Jews stole the body. Mm-hmm. Enemy attestation. Then you have life change. His own brother, they peed in the same toilet. James denied him his entire life. His own parents thought he was a joke when he made these claims. But all of a sudden, after the resurrection, James becomes one of the leaders of the church, dies a martyr's death because he says, you know what? My brother actually rose from the dead. And you have this type of historicity. Then you have Celsus. Then you have Roman emperors saying that, yes, this resurrection is a historical claim. And Christians, even though they're insane, are dying for their beliefs in the Roman Colosseum. So you even have external evidence for that in that sort of way. They're not saying, yes, we believe this, obviously. So you start to, that, that's the process. Right. Jesus, historical figure, character claims, personality, and then evidence for the resurrection. And I think all of that lines up beautifully. Right, so can we go back yeah. to your initial question? When you asked, do you read the Bible literally? Yeah. What did you mean? That, that we're, we're defining it as, you know, when they say the, the world was made in six days, that that's factually true, that, that every you know, point of detail in some ways is, is factually true. Okay, the answer to that is very simple. Yeah. I read every book literally. Which means I respect literary style. If it's a poem, I read it literally as a poem. If it's apocalyptic literature, I read it literally as apocalyptic literature. If it's a biology textbook, I read it literally as scientific literature. So the first point is you respect literary style. The second point is to read something literally means you read it in context. You don't rip one line out and say, this is the whole point of Shakespeare in Macbeth. You read it from beginning to end. You read in context. Mm -hmm. Just please read the Bible the same way you would read any textbook here at this fine university. Read it literally, which means you allow for symbolism, metaphor, hyperbole, parable. You allow for apocalyptic literature. You allow for scientific literature. You allow for historical literature. These are all legitimate forms of expression. And if you're going to respect an author, you're going to make the effort to understand what is the literary style that this author is using. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, you don't walk away saying, a literal interpretation of that is he's a 100 watt light bulb. When Jesus says, I am the door, whoever enters through me shall be saved. A literal interpretation of that is not, oh, Jesus is claiming to be two pieces of plywood slapped together. No. 
and when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you hate your father and mother, you cannot be my disciple. You don't take that to mean Jesus is saying, okay, everybody, go out and hate mom and dad, because you read it in context of Luke 14, and you realize what he's saying is, I need to be number one, not your mom and dad, not your wife and children. And that is an accurate interpretation of that. That's a literal interpretation. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 uh, I understand, right? You're you're reading it with that nuance. Like, I think I think partially my concern, though, is that the the uh, a lot of the people coming and asking questions are asking you to defend it in this very rigid, like almost scientific. This is literally true. Not allowing for those poetic for those All right, fine. different. Well, we'll straighten that out. Okay, now how do you read the Bible? Who is Jesus Christ according to what you have read in the Bible, in the New Testament? Well, for me, I, 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 he's, he's an example, right? Like, he has lived a, a life that is worth emulating. So I, I look at to him as an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I, I mean, I, I'm a little lost on that because I, I think it's getting a little away from... What I, when I was asking, right? So, oh, I don't think so. You asked me about literalism. Well, so I'm, I'm asking, about... you literally read the New Testament Gospels. What is your understanding of who yeah. Jesus is? Yeah. From, from, from his claims, his lifestyle, who do you think Jesus is, literally? I'd like to invite you to Grace Community Church, located at 365 Lukeswood Road in New Canaan, Connecticut. Our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. on Sundays. Hope you can join us. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Next Generation Saints again. I really appreciate that you guys spent time, and I hope that this entire video has blessed you. I hope that you learned something new and that you can share it with friends, family, or just have it in your library of things you'd like to listen to and, and help you build on your faith. So with that in mind, just remember, Jesus Christ loves you. It's best to have the relationship with him. And I will leave on this particular note. Remember John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, until next time, we may meet again. May God richly bless you all my dearly beloved.